My wife asked me if the ladies could also come out and help in this deep clean that we're going to have Saturday. Well, I don't know. Yes, you can come out. Yes. Nine o'clock for the ladies. And the men, were good. we're going to gather at eight. But come on out. If you've got a desire to help clean up the church, kind of do a fall cleaning, I guess. Come on out, ladies, at nine. Uh, <clears throat> also, uh, we have some folks here from Africa. What, what was your name again? <laughs> George and Luann, make yourself acquainted with them. It's good to have them back home on a little furlough here and uh, uh, sure appreciate when they can come in. So this morning we're in Genesis chapter 37. We're looking at Joseph's dreams. Chapter 36 has, was a chapter of Esau's descendants, but then in 37 it goes back to Jacob and his sons, primarily Joseph. Joseph, a remarkable man, a man of character, and we get to see how God developed that character in Joseph. Joseph had great patience and trust in God. Joseph is an example of, of triumphant faith. He trusted God and the workings of God in his life. Uh, Joseph very early in life seemed to understand that God was in control and that God was directing his life uh, and, and all the trials that also came his way we never see Joseph uh, vacillate back and forth but he knew it was of God uh, and he suffered a lot of wrongs what we would probably call bad things. But God was building in Joseph patience and character to be the deliverer of his people Israel. And many times Joseph didn't have a choice. He All he could do was wait for God's provision. But as we read of Joseph, we see that he was his daddy's favorite. Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. And favoritism uh, with the patriarchs was not an unusual thing. Uh, Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. And now we have this Jacob who was shunned by his father because his father preferred Esau. And now we have Jacob showing favoritism towards Joseph. So let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flocks with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to his father. Now Israel loved Jacob more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his, their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he was told in his, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. 
So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his mother said to him, Shall we indeed Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So it was told to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept this matter in mind. When we read the book of Genesis, it is helpful to understand it is not in perfect chronological order. Uh, we also see that there is no recording in Genesis whatsoever of God ever appearing to Joseph. He gives him dreams, but God has appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God, as far as we know, never appeared to Joseph. Joseph, speaking of the chronological order, was 15 when Rachel, his mother, died. And she died giving birth to Benjamin, who was a full brother to Joseph. We find Joseph now. He's out feeding the flocks along with his brothers that are near his age, the sons of the maidservants, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. The sons of Leah are Joseph's older brothers, half-brothers, and they're grown men, and they're probably a few years older than Jake, uh, Joseph, rather. And Joseph now, he brings a bad report of his brothers to his dad, Jacob. Joseph is a tattletale. <laughs> That's all you can say. He is ratting out his brothers. And that never sits well with a brother. My brothers were the good brothers. I was not the good brother. And they ratted me out at times. But anyway... Verse 3, now we come to the bias that is there in Jacob. Jacob loves Joseph more than his brothers. And the brothers have a natural reaction. They hate Joseph because of this. And they can't even manage to speak peacefully to their brother because the hate is so severe. There was no sitting around the campfire uh, at night. There was no joking. There was no visiting. Uh, he, Joseph was always kind of separated from them. And there always seemed to be a little bit of an edge in their conversation. How often do we have relatives that can bring about a rivalry within a family or difficult relationships? But we have Jacob. And he's made Joseph a special coat of many colors, the infamous coat of many colors. It is a special garment made by Jacob for Joseph. Uh, 
It had sleeves that came all the way down. Not all the coats made in that time had sleeves. And it also came all the way down to his knees. So it wasn't just a coat of many colors. It was a special garment. And this coat signified um, the authority of Joseph given to him by his father over his brothers. Made his brothers hate him a little more. And we can almost see uh, Joseph walking around and saying to his brothers, what do you think of my beautiful coat? The one dad made for me. <laughs> and uh, by the way, has dad ever made you a coat? <laughs> you know, he, he was not a humble man in his early years, Joseph. And it, it's easy for us to see that he had a pride problem. He understands that dad loves him more than his brothers, and he flaunts it. He, he throws it in the face of his brothers. And as we move through the life of Joseph, we will see that God will use Joseph mightily, but God will also take Joseph through many prideful issues, and he will remove that pride that is so offensive to God from Joseph. God will humble Joseph. And he will humble him because of the pride thing. God humbles any of his people that are lifted up in pride. You can write that one down. There is a truism. And because God hates pride, and it's that simple. He hates pride, and when he sees it in his children, he will do something about it. God declares in his word that he hates even a prideful look. And you go, well, okay. <laughs> so what is a prideful look? I know what a prideful look is. I'm going to give you the prideful look. That's a prideful look when you act like you're on the end. You know, you just go, yeah, I got it together. <laughs> That's a prideful look. Um, and we see God humbling, especially his own people, before he uses us for his kingdom. Joseph has a dream. It's a dream that in his own heart and life he must share with his brothers because in this dream he is exalted and he can't just keep that to himself. Of course, it only makes his brothers hate him more. But, you know, I think Joseph's brothers, and even dad, needed to hear about these dreams because these dreams are true dreams and they are of God. Later in Joseph's life, his brothers will remember his dreams when he is in power in Egypt. And the brothers are surprised that God has raised up their brother to this powerful position in Egypt, the same brother that they hated, the same brother that they sold into slavery, God is now exalted. But that's way ahead of our story. But we see a lack of wisdom in Joseph in the way he shared his dreams. There's no getting around that. Joseph is a young impetuous man obviously 
humility and meekness would have been a better way to share his dreams, but he's a young man. As Christians, we have to consider we have the greatest truth known to mankind. We do. As Christians, we do. We know, we understand the way of salvation. Uh, We know the way to eternal life. But how we articulate that truth is vital. We can rant and rave about the fires of hell, or we can explain how Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he rose again to free us from hell and damnation. There's two ways you can approach that. The book, the book of Proverbs tells us we are to study how to answer a person. Joseph, he's daddy's favorite. He needed to learn how to share the truth of his dreams. And he doesn't seem to have a grip on that. Uh, God has a plan for Joseph. And Joseph needed to be humbled for that plan to come about. He will be the leader. He will be the deliverer of his people. And God has got that plan for him. And But we see God taking Joseph through what we would consider major trials. <clears throat> but the way Joseph shares his dreams causes his brothers to hate him even more. And they are some... Uh, Preachers who will spit and scream at you and at their people about sin and being cast into a lake of fire. And they are attempting to scare their people into heaven. But when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we don't see him doing that. We find our Lord, he talks with people, he reasons with people, those that he came in contact with. Uh, So turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 10, and we'll look at one of these conversations. In Luke chapter 10, we have a lawyer, an expert in the law, having a conversation with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounding him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This question by the lawyer, our text tells us, is a test. The lawyer asks a question in the area of his own expertise, the law. And Jesus, in his great wisdom, answers the question according to the law. Understand the law never saved or gave eternal life to anyone. Jesus knows this perfectly well. The law only reveals to those who study the law that they are a sinner separated from God. That is the purpose of the law. But Jesus asked the, he asked the lawyer, what is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? Or how do you interpret the law? And again, Jesus knows perfectly well eternal life is through himself, the cross, and his resurrection. But Jesus is dealing with a man that's an expert in the law, and this is how Jesus will communicate to this man. And Jesus takes the time to expose the lawyer's thinking. He exposes the way he lives, the base of his life, and he also exposes the limitations of the law. There was another occasion when a lawyer came to Jesus named Nicodemus. And to this lawyer, Jesus said, you must be born again. And you remember Nicodemus' reply, how can a man enter back into his mother and be born again? And Jesus says, you, a teacher of the law, ask this question. But anyway, back to the lawyer and how he interprets the law. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the basic law. Now, you can't do that for more than 10 minutes at a time. I know I've tried. <laughs> no, you can't live the law for any length of time if you're honest about it. Jesus knew that it was impossible to live the law, and so does this lawyer. That's why his questions is. But Jesus says, Mr. Lawyer, do this and you will live. But the lawyer, verse 29, he wants to justify himself. He knows he doesn't live the law. And he wants to justify himself, and this is how they did it. And he says, who is my neighbor? 
The lawyer knows perfectly well, if I love God and say that I love God in my heart, soul, and strength, who's to say that I don't? You know, you can't look in and judge my heart. So the lawyer and the scribes of that day, to get around the law, they made the term neighbor a vague term. That was their loophole. And they took comfort in saying, who is my neighbor? But Jesus can say and Jesus will say who our neighbor is. So Jesus tells the story of the Good good Samaritan. Note the characters of this uh, story. There's a priest, there's a Levite, and there's a Samaritan. And they react and they encounter with this wounded man. The Jewish priest, he is supposed to be a representative of man to God and God to man. That is his job. That is his position in life. He is to offer up prayers. He is to offer sacrifices on behalf of man to God. The Levites, that's where the priests came out of the Levitical tribe. Uh, They're definitely a tribe of Israel, a tribe that is to be of service to God. And both of these men, of course, walk by the wounded traveler. And next we have the Samaritan. Samaritans happen to be hated by the Jews. The Jewish people hated them because, one, they were a mixed race of people, and uh, to a Jew that was a a no-no. And they considered their worship of God, the Samaritans' worship of God, to be profane. So the Jews hated the Samaritans, and likewise, the Samaritans hated the Jews. The priest and Levi are men of a religious authority, and they re- they're supposed to be representing God to man, and they come down this road, and they purposely avoid this wounded traveler, cross to the other side of the road. They can't even look upon it. They cross to the other side of the road where they don't even have to see this wounded man, and they want to avoid any personal contact with him no touching don't even want to look upon him and we're not given any explanation in our passage as why they avoid this man now we can speculate all day long why they avoided him but we're not given anything in scripture as to why they would avoid him uh But we do know that if they were to help him, they would be like the Samaritan. It would cost them time and money. So we know at least part of the reason why they don't want to help him. After all, they're probably on an important trip. They're probably going down to Jericho to do business or uh, to do something good. Okay, And their schedules, maybe they were real tight and they don't have the time. But our opportunities, our opportunities to serve God do not come with a flashing arrow sign. (laughs) Sometimes I want those. (laughs) I want God to say, do this now, Doc. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, If my own life, and yours too, by the way, many times we blow right through, go right past those opportunities to minister 
our loving God to those around us. Unfortunately, I think we do this consistently. Our government is halfway shut down right now. Sometimes I think God's just shutting it down to get our attention, you know, to get his people's attention, you know. Uh, God declaring to us, hey, maybe I have some good works for you to do here, and I've got to stop you to have you do them, perhaps. But one of my prayers is, God, allow me to see the way you're directing my life. Show me the path that you have for me today. Today. Let me see those opportunities that you will bring about before they pass by. You know, we're, we're very good at seeing the opportunity to serve God after they have passed by. There's two things that I think will help us to see our opportunities to serve God, to be that good Samaritan. Pray that God will use you, because God loves to hear that prayer, and he answers that prayer. And pray that God will open doors for you to minister him to, to your neighbors. But I also pray, Lord, let me see him. I want to see him. And when we pray for God to use us, when you really pray for God to use us, life gets to be an adventure. Because God hears that prayer and answers that prayer. Sometimes the opportunities to minister, they're very obvious, you know. You know, anybody can pick up on it. And it even gives us a chance sometimes to plan out how we will fill that need or how we will serve that person. But there are other times, and that's what we're talking about here, that are directed by God and they come upon us suddenly and we sometimes, a lot of the time even, miss them. I don't like that, missing those opportunities to serve my God. And afterwards we say things, well, why was I so dense? Why was I so preoccupied that I missed what God was trying to show me? These religious men in our story, I think they were probably decent men. They weren't bad guys, priest and a Levite. Uh, but they had no time. They provided no time in their schedule to be a good Samaritan, to be a good neighbor to a wounded person. No time to do what they're called to do, to serve their neighbor. Let me tell you a little story. It's about me. But, you know, I get to tell you stories about me because I'm up here. Years ago, back in Oakdale, California, we were moving from Oakdale area down to the Turlock area, about a 20-mile move. Uh, it had come time for me to move my farm equipment. So I got a big flatbed trailer that I have, had big old trailer truck tires on it. And I hook it up to my tractor, and I've got all the equipment that I can get on this trailer, and off I go. 
Trouble is, I've got to drive my tractor through the city of Oakdale, which had about three stoplights. And uh, when you're driving a tractor, people become impatient with you. <laughs> they want you to get out of the way. They cut you off. They stop in front of you suddenly. And I'm almost through the city of Oakdale when my patience begins to run thin with the people that are driving around me. And I begin to murmur and complain about some of the nincompoops that are holding me up. And God spoke to me. One of those times where God got my attention. And it was so real that it was almost like audible. You know, you repeat it. And God said to me, you're going to need one of these nincompoops for your trip is over. Uh-oh. I instantly repented. I really did. God forgive me for my attitude and so forth. And I continue on my way. And I'm almost to our other house. When BAM! <laughs> there goes one of my big trailer wheels passing me by on a tractor. Uh-oh, this is bad. <laughs> I managed to drag the trailer off into a guy's sort of front yard area. And it's a dairyman that uh, I pull off into a, a dairy's kind of yard there. And this good Samaritan dairyman comes out and he says, looks like you got a little problem here. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I managed to chase down my wheel that came off. And this dairyman, he goes and gets his tractor, lifts up the side of my trailer, puts the wheel back in place, gets his welder and welds the wheel back on. And this nimcompoop is rescuing me. And it was very humbling, very humbling. My bad attitude, murmuring and complaining, only an hour before, all of a sudden turned around. This dairyman was more than gracious. Uh, he was helping his neighbor that was passing by. And we even had a good laugh about my predicament for, <laughs> before I pulled away. And I can honestly say to you, I would rather be the helper than the helpee. It's humbling to be helped out like that. But in verse 33 of our text, the good Samaritan proved to be a man of compassion. Proved to be the good neighbor. And being a good neighbor starts with compassion. Are we being people of compassion? Are we bandaging the wounds of our neighbors? Are we pouring oil and wine on those that are hurting? Oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Wines associated with gladness and happiness. Are we making our neighbors happy? Are we helping them? Jesus closes his story by asking the lawyer, so which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the wounded traveler? 
The lawyer, he has no choice. He must answer. He knows who it is, and he answers rightly. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Right. That's a confession. That's an omission to the Lord in the story of who the good neighbor was. That clears up a critical issue, a critical question in the heart of lawyers who used the excuse of who is my neighbor. Jesus has just told him who their neighbor is. My neighbor is anyone that I come in contact with that is in need or is hurting. That is your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Jesus' final word to the lawyer, go and do likewise. Go and be a good Samaritan. Now, eternal life for this lawyer was to do what he cannot do, and that's live the law. So why would Jesus tell a lawyer to live the law? One, he wanted to relate to him. But eternal life for this lawyer cannot come apart from Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that. And it's an implied promise here from Jesus to this lawyer. You try to live the law. And if you try to live the law, I will come to you. I who possess eternal life will come to you and give you, reward you with eternal life because eternal life is in me. Jesus related to the lawyer above the law. But he used the law to talk to him. Our Lord Jesus, full of compassion, seeks looks for those that he may save. And he would not bring that lawyer to the realization he couldn't live the law if he wasn't willing to save that lawyer. Never forget that about our Lord. Our Lord, full of compassion, full of mercy. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, first of all, we do pray that you will use us to do good works, to be that good neighbor. Give us opportunities to show your love, Lord. We know you hear those prayers, and may it be our daily prayer. Lord, we want our lives to be full of good works, and so do you. You desire that you your people be different from the world. You, you desire that we be compassionate to those that are hurting, compassionate to those in need. So we want to be, Lord. We want to be your hands extended, Jesus. I thank you for taking time in my own life to just show me what a good neighbor was. And I want to be a good neighbor to those around me, Lord. And so do these, your people. So help us do a good work in our hearts and lives by your spirit, Lord. We pray for this and we ask for this. And we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.